Good morning. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. That was worth the $10 that I slipped him to compliment me earlier on. Appreciate that, Tom. <laughs> Very kind to you. <clears throat> All right. Good morning. My name is Gary. I'm the youth pastor here at Faith. And man, this is the first time back preaching in big church in front of an audience. So I'm a little nervous, but I'm also extremely excited for this opportunity to be able to bring the word of God to you this morning. And I hope it truly is a blessing to you. I really do. And, you know, I'm so glad that we're back in person service that we're not filming the the messages anymore. I was sick of filming the messages. So this is nice. And I'll try to get you guys out of here at a decent time this morning. Because if you know the definition of a good sermon, it actually is, it has a good beginning, has a good ending, and they should be as close together as possible. You guys agree with that? (laughs) All right. So for that reason, I'll try not to keep you guys too long. I'll get you out of here within two to three hours. All right. Well, as Pastor Tom alluded to, we uh, did go to the men's retreat last weekend up at Moose River Outpost, and it was a fantastic time. It really was. Even with the wet day on Saturday, uh, the guys all had good attitudes. You know, we made the most of the day, still had an incredible time. We really did. And let me tell you how refreshing and encouraging it is to hear 50 guys raising their voices inside one room, worshiping God, their Savior. It was incredible to see. Um, but it was also made me realize how blessed we are with the men of faith here at church. Here at this church of faith, we have some great men and also a great men's ministry team who plays value in discipling other men. And that was really evident at the retreat this past weekend. Well, <clears throat> this morning, I'm going to continue on with First Peter as we're working through the book, as Pastor Brent's been working through it. He's asked me to do this section, this passage um, that, of Peter's letter. And that's what we're going to get into. And, you know, it's always really interesting to work your way through a book, as we've done with First Peter. Um, I'm going to move this over here real quick. Um, so as you work your way through the book, kind of slow down, see what's really going on, and kind of get the full picture of the intent and why this letter was written 2,000 years ago. You know, as I was looking through it, trying to internalize the passage, it, it kind of reminded me of when you're watching a movie. You try to put yourself in the middle of it. You try to uh, kind of experience all the different characters. You experience the emotional highs and the lows, and you get wrapped up in the whole ordeal of the movie in the context of what's going on. Now, I don't take it quite to the extreme as some people do. I'm not going to name any names, but I have heard some people actually dress up as Gandalf when they watch Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so I don't know if I'll pay for that one later. But similarly, as we read this letter, we need to put ourselves in the seat of the audience that the letter is intended for. Because we need to realize and recognize that these are Christians who had legitimate fears in their communities. You know, Nero was no joke. We've heard the stories about him. He was a cruel guy, and, um, and he hated Christians. And he was willing to use them as examples of, to show his power to those who disobeyed him, actually. Um, so he would use them as examples. And if we're putting ourselves in the seat of the audience, we're able to see that if we were facing the persecution that they were facing, you know, we'd probably read this letter with a little more attention to detail. We'd probably cling on to the fact that hope exists during this difficult time. In fact, if we were facing the same persecution today, we'd probably push away a lot of the petty things aside. We probably wouldn't be so focused on what we're having for lunch after church. We'd probably focus and desperately look for assurance and hope to get us through. So that's the way we need to put ourselves this morning as we approach the letter. 
Now, Peter's saying, listen, we've discussed the roles of husbands and wives, but if you're not married, you're not getting off the hook because <laughs> this is advice is for believers of all ages, whether you're single or married. And Peter's going to show us how to act appropriately within the body of Christ to other believers in the church, but also to those outside, those who disagree with us, the world. So whether we're treated fairly or not, we need to continue being a light to those who are lost. In fact, a time of suffering can be a much greater witness to the outside world, to the uh, world when then when things are actually going smooth and peachy in our lives, really. You know, that's a much greater witness because the world's watching us. And when we're willing to endure suffering for our faith and, and stake our life really on, on his holy name, then uh, witness for God is really made in a powerful and effective way. And author Max Anders, he actually writes in the Holman Commentary, he says this, in each situation, one thing should be uppermost in our minds, and that is the continuing opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who stand in need. We must not short-circuit any opportunities to do so by our misguided and inappropriate responses and actions. And really, I think that's a great summary of how we should approach suffering and submissions in our life. Well, Peter's going to start off with our text this morning with three words. He says, to sum up, or some of your versions you may see today also says, finally. Basically, it's just the final admonition. It's kind of a summary of everything he just covered. So really what it means is it is clutch time. It's clutch time. And I don't know if there are any college basketball fans out there or not, but I love March Madness. I really do. I love March Madness. Unfortunately, thanks to COVID, we weren't able to experience it this past year. But it's usually a time where there's real high competition between the different schools, the college basketball teams going back and forth against each other. And they're trying to get into this bracket of 64 teams. And this bracket then plays single elimination all the way down to the last two teams standing, the final four and then the last two teams standing. But, you know, it's always interesting to see the different styles and approaches of the coaches as they take to motivate their players. You know, during the regular season, you'll actually see some of these guys keep their composure and control their emotions, like I said, during the regular season. However, when it gets to March Madness, whew, <laughs> March Madness and near the end of a game, you really start to see and hear the passion of these coaches as he actually not even talks. He screams at his players to try to get them motivated. He'll use phrases like, guys, we got to give it 110%. Guys, it is now or never. We need to turn up the heat. He'll use those motivational phrases. And he does this because he needs to get the message through to his players that how important these next few minutes are going to be. Really, because the competition, that intensity level is going to ramp up. And he understands that this is the major turning point in the game. And it really, it's his last opportunity to motivate his teammate or his team with his words and actions. So it's not only clutch time for the players here. It is also clutch time for that coach to deliver that powerful message to his team and to keep them focused on the prize. Well, this is similar to what we're seeing with Peter. He is stressing the importance of being prepared for clutch time or when the heat's turned up on the Christians. He's not saying it's going to be painless or even easy, but he is saying that it is important to stay focused and, and keep the course even while enduring suffering and even if it's not fair. 
He encourages them to take the unjust suffering from those who are persecuting them and use it actually as an opportunity to show the true hope that they possess. And this is obviously a very timely passage considering what's going on in the world around us today. You know, it's so easy for us to get caught up in what's, what's out there and, and lose sight of our main focus. But this hopefully is going to be a good reminder for us to take a look inwardly and make sure we ourselves are in right standing before a holy God and also available for him to use us before and during a time of suffering. So we're going to start out with our text in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 this morning. Peter says this, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So Peter starts off with giving this list of things, basically to do and not to do. And he says five different things to do and only two things not to do. I think he really wants us to focus or his audience to focus on those Christ-like qualities. You focus on those Christ-like qualities and in turn, as a result, you're going to make better decisions. And hopefully for those Christians, those better decisions will help them refrain from those lists of not to do's. But I want to camp on these two lists here just for a minute. Because in this letter, we need to know that it's directed towards those Christians who are scattered abroad. But it's also very applicable to us today. And so I'm going to read this list as if, in mind, it's it's, uh, directed toward us today. That's how I'm going to read it. So the first one on the to-do is be harmonious. And this is of one mind. It's being led by the Holy Spirit. Not just between believers here in the church, but this is the universal body of Christ. All believers. It doesn't mean we're all going to look the same. It doesn't mean we're going to have the same gifts and talents. But what it does mean is we should all have that same vision, really, to spread the gospel to the world. And that is the reason why we have that, the, the same vision is because of that Holy Spirit that dwells in us. That is how we are to be harmonious. Secondly, Peter says, sympathetic. We need to show grace and mercy to others because we're still in our earthly bodies. And we need to be considerate of others. Put them first. And when someone's suffering, we need to really come alongside and show them sympathy. Thirdly is brotherly. Love each other as brothers and sisters. And this takes that relationship to another level. When you know you're dealing with family members, you have a lot more kindness and and show them sympathy. But it also reminds us that they were created by God as well. And kind-hearted or tender-hearted. This comes alongside of being sympathetic, but really it adds another layer of caring for someone. It means having their best interests in mind. And lastly, he says, humble in spirit. Don't act better than anyone else. You know, we all struggle with pride in one way or another. We really do. But what we need to realize is that we are nothing outside of God. So don't be condescending to others. In fact, All of these things that he just listed fall in line with the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians 5, where he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And these five things that I just listed on the to-do from his letter um, are all clearly Christ-like qualities, and they're all produced from abiding in Christ. Those are the to-do lists. Now the not-to-do lists. Don't return evil for evil. You know, people are going to do some wicked things to you. They really are. And your initial reaction, or I shouldn't say yours, I should say my initial reaction, is to want to pay them back. Drop the hammer on them. 
And Peter's even saying, guys, believe me, I know firsthand. I cut a guy's ear off and Jesus had to scold me because I acted out of impulse and I responded with the flesh. But it's important for us to be prepared to go against what the flesh is telling us because that's what sets us apart as children of God. Secondly, he says, don't return insult for insult. It's along the same vein as evil for evil, but it even goes a step further because even in something as simple as an insult, we need to be careful of not slinging that first thought that comes to mind. Instead, we need to use discernment. And in the same passage of Galatians 5, Paul also says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Those are a result of not abiding in Christ. Now, Paul also says in Colossians 3.12, As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So when dealing with others, it really changes our view if we remind ourselves what was done for us. And that's really what brings me to the next uh, point of what Peter says next. He says, give a blessing instead, all because we are called for the purpose to inherit the blessing that we've received. But what exactly is this blessing that he's talking about here? Well, you know, we as believers, we're all given grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's not a single one of us in here that deserve that grace that was given to us. And uh, really, that, that without that sin payment, without the blood of Jesus Christ, we would not have received our salvation. So therefore, it's really important for us to grant that same grace that we've been given and offer the same salvation that we've received to others. Now, obviously, there are blessings to be had here on earth as well, you know, and God constantly is blessing us, whether we recognize it or not, because me simply standing here without shaking nervously is a blessing. (laughs) And me waking up in the morning breathing is a blessing by God. But I want to be, I want to be careful here because it's important not for me or for me to not paint this picture of the prosperity gospel. Okay. I don't want you to get the wrong message that if we, if you refrain from retaliating for evil or refrain from retaliating with insult, that you're going to get blessed with wealth or peaceful and non-difficult life. That is not what Peter's saying here. If anything, we need to hold tight to the eternal blessing that he's given us as a result of the cross. Now, this thought is very countercultural. Pay them back with a blessing. And you may say, what? Gary, you want me to be kind back to those who are rude, these jerks who are rude and they rip me up and cut me down? (laughs) Well, Scripture says yes. And that's where we have to go back to our perfect example, the one we are to imitate in Jesus Christ. You know, he lived on this earth for 33 years. He experienced all the interactions with others that we face, which means the good and the bad. You know, he was probably cut off by a horse and buggy as he was traveling through town. He probably didn't have all the nicest and easiest customers as he was working as a carpenter with Joseph, right? Yet he still tells us to pay them back with a blessing because as the world observes us, they'll see God glorified and will hopefully follow suit. You know, we so often see advice from parents or authority that says, do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) And this attitude promotes that generation that continues living like this kind of disregarding the biblical principles of living like Christ. But Jesus, he says, do as I say, but also do as I do. It's amazing. 
And fortunately, we have Jesus to emulate because Peter's probably not the perfect example of self-control, right? <laughs> but we need to give Peter a little bit of a break. We need to give him a little bit of, of a break because he, um, he, he was the type who, who retaliated and he cut the guy's ear off. But as we see in the letter, from the instance that he cut the guy's ear off to when he wrote this letter, he had grown spiritually. He had grown spiritually, and you could see his outlook on dealing with others had changed as well. So he had grown spiritually, and there was spiritual fruit because of that spiritual maturity. And we see that in the list that he wrote that we just talked about. Now, as we drop down to verse 10 in that letter, we see how Peter repeats the exact same thing what David repeat or David says in Psalms 34. And this passage in Psalms 34 is a time when David is running for his life. And yet he still submits to God and continues to bless God even during the most difficult time and most unfair circumstances of his life. And I think it's clear why Peter picks this passage out of Psalms to put it in his letter. Because it's applicable to the point that he's making on suffering and blessing. Verse 10 says, The one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. And then as we move on to verse 12, he actually tells us why to do so. But that is where I stop at the verse point. I want to point out to you on your notes. It says, God is the sovereign and righteous judge. And in verse 12, Peter says, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. So by living this way, it'll keep us on a path of righteousness but it will also keep a clear communication between our heavenly father. And that in itself right there is a blessing. But the end of verse 12, it says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So by retaliating, you may feel better in that moment as you are making them pay for what they did to you. But that will not bring glory to God. Oh, how many times have I retaliated to someone who, you know, I'm driving along and they'll cut me off real quick or they'll blow through a stop sign and I can feel my blood start boiling. I get so angry. I just want to go up and ram them in the back of the car. There's a reason why I don't have a face sticker on the back of my truck, okay? I'm a work in progress just like every one of you guys, all right? Working on it. But fleshly speaking, we want to be God. We want to serve justice to that person who just did us wrong. Peter warns us, remain in the spirit and allow God to bring justice to those who do evil. On to the next point on the notes there. If you suffer for good, you are blessed. Verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? You know, when I talk with motorcyclists, motorcycle drivers, they usually say how responsible they are and they're always alert. And I believe them. They actually probably are the most responsible drivers, and they, they stay within the rules, keep the, under the speed limit. Um, they're probably more alert than over half of the people behind the wheel of a car, realistically. However, even if they follow all the rules, and they are the safest driver in the world, and they can still wind up in an accident. And that is because of the actions of another person or, well, also because God is allowing it as well. But just like that super safe motorcycle driver who gets in an accident, the Christian living rightly can still experience suffering. You know, Peter says it's rare for someone to harm you for doing good, but it does still happen. So if it happens, know that God allowed it and he'll reward you for trusting him through it. 
you know, it's, it's really easy for the most part and kind of feels good as like in like a humanitarian sort of way to live the Christian life. You know, you're doing good deeds. You're, you're living rightly. You're, you're being a good citizen to your community. You're, you're putting smiles on other people's faces at the shelter, whatever it may be. However, when suffering and trials hit your life, when they show up in your life, that's where it gets real. That's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, as to how strong your faith truly is. It's important. And that's the time when your response is actually going to hold the most weight to the unbelieving or the unbeliever who is observing your life and watching you live it. Years ago, I used to work finished carpentry for a guy down in Portland. He was the best finished carpenter I've ever seen in my life. He was incredible, did incredible work. He was also a really good man of God. Great guy, and everybody on the job site loved him and really respected him for his faith and, and how he lived as well. Unfortunately, his daughter was killed at the age of 18 in a car accident, his only daughter. It was tragic, and it was sudden. And my boss and his wife persevered while serving God through that difficult time. But then four years later, his 24-year-old son ended, decided life was just not worth living, and he ended his life. As you can imagine, he and his wife were devastated and shocked at this suffering. And, and truthfully, I don't know if I could endure such suffering. I don't know. It's, that would be a tough one to respond to. But since then, I've been able to see this man of God continue serving and worshiping God in his church amongst his brothers. And more importantly, also at the job site in front of other unbelievers. And of course, there's a lot of pain that he and his wife still struggle with, as you can imagine. But the witness they both leave behind is incredible because they stayed connected to Christ throughout that suffering. They're both heavily involved in the children's ministry at the church. And the men at the job site, those unbelievers, were able to see him practice what he preached in the darkest days of his life. His witness for Christ was really magnified through that suffering. Now, that's powerful for us as believers looking in at somebody else going through that suffering. But just imagine to the unbeliever who's watching that, who's observing, and seeing he and his wife be able to endure such suffering and still serve God through that and trust God. It's powerful. On to the next point. Don't try to change your circumstance. This is verse 14. Peter says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness... You are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Peter says you're blessed. And this goes back really to our imperishable inheritance that we've been given as Christians. You know, we may lose everything on earth, everything we have here on earth. That goes with family, uh, material things, everything. However, there is no authority here on earth that can take away what we've been given. We always have that hope for what we've been given. And a story that comes to mind when I hear this is uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for you VeggieTale fans out there, Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? Had to get that plug in there. But King Nebuchadnezzar simply made a decree that when you hear the horn, you have to fall down and worship the golden statue. And if you defy that order, then you get thrown into the furnace. Daniel 3, verse 16, actually, we see the response of these men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, these three men are saying, we're going to continue trusting God no matter what the outcome is. We're going to continue trusting him. They weren't trying to change their circumstance to make it easier or, or less painful or even evade the suffering that was at hand. They didn't say, you know what, God, God will give us a pass. That furnace is really intimidating. He's got to understand that. No. They said, we're going to stand up for our God, and we're willing to accept the man-made suffering or the punishment for doing so. Well, we all know the story. Nebuchadnezzar had that heat turned way up and threw them into the furnace. And the amazing thing is that there was four walking in the fire as well, but I'm not going to get into that. But when the three men came back out, there was not a hair singed, and they didn't even smell like smoke at all. Amazing. But this here is the stance that Peter wants his audience to be ready for and take when or if and when the time comes. Because there's a possibility of the same outcome as the result that we see in this story. And I'm going to show you what that result is from their bold stance in verse 28. Said Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Now, I don't think we're there quite yet, but it actually may be a choice we have to make sooner than we think, you know. It's so easy to throw your faith away when it seems like God's abandoned you and your circumstance really is, is more than you can bear. Yet it's precisely in those darkest moments of your life when, you're, when your faith in God is crucial to keep your witness. You know, if Rack, Shack, and Benny here, if, if they gave in to Nebuchadnezzar's degree and just went along worshiping that, that false god, first of all, they would have uh, disobeyed God. And their character would have been tainted. But more importantly, their witness for God never would have been brought to light. So as we see, it was all for the glory of God. On to verse 15 in Peter's letter. It says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now this is a really popular verse, especially for Christians, as it should be, right? But sanctify simply means set apart. It's purify. You know, as believers, we've been justified once and for all. Once and for all. But we must revisit that cross daily to show our true gratefulness for what was done on our behalf and to remind ourselves how much we need him in our lives. Now, if we don't set Christ apart in our lives, those list of to-dos from the beginning of Peter's letter, that passage, simply become good deeds instead of fruit that is produced by the Spirit. And eventually, it'll lead to a moralistic behavior where we depend on ourselves to stay good instead of completely trusting in Christ. Max Anders says, To reverence Christ as Lord means to believe that Jesus Christ is in control and that those who come against the believer are not. He goes on to say, When our lives are centered on Christ, who's in control of the universe, then we're able to respond properly to the uncertainties and inconsistencies of life. So the key... Key here is Christ must be at the center of our lives to respond well and endure suffering. You know, when you're not focused on Christ, there begins a slow fade. In fact, Casting Crowns captured it perfectly in a song that they called Slow Fade. <laughs> but it says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. 
All thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. You know, no one in high school or, or before they got married planned on becoming an alcoholic or, or going through a divorce and having all kinds of issues in life. No, it's a slow fade that starts with one simple decision to put ourselves in the driver's seat. And then our relationship with God begins to deteriorate. And the relationships with others around us begins to have issues and fall apart. It reminds me of the old example, and I'm going to paraphrase this, so I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit here. But the old example of the, the newlyweds who were in the seat or the truck, and they got married, and uh, they, they were inseparable. So the husband's sitting there with his hand on the wheel, with his, his arm around his wife, because they just got married, right? Newlyweds are right next to each other. Well, after a couple of years, they had a child who then occupied that middle seat. So the wife scooted over. <laughs> then a couple of years later, they had a second child. Wife scoots over a little farther. We got to add a dog to the mix. So now there's two kids and a dog. Now the husband's all the way to the left and the wife's all the way to the right. Many years later go by and the children graduate from high school and go on to college. The dog, unfortunately, dies of old age. And so the husband's still over to the left and the wife's over to the right. And she looks over at her husband one day and says, honey, how come we don't sit close together and snuggle anymore? <laughs> well, the husband with his hand up on the wheel, his arm around the bench seat, looked over at her and said, honey, I never moved. You know, it just reminds us that God never moves away from us, right? We slowly fade away from him until we realize how far we've drifted from our heavenly father. And Satan's constantly attacking us. So it's that battle that rages on between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. But it was no different back in Peter's day, right? Satan really hasn't had to change his tactics all that much. We're pretty simple as human beings to trip up. He still tries to get his foot in the door so he can start pulling you slowly away from Christ. And your communication begins to get fuzzy. And you begin making decisions based on the flesh instead of using discernment from God. Peter's telling his audience it's important to be sanctified by Christ so you can be unified together when this persecution shows up on your doorsteps. And we've all heard of horse blinders, right? Horses focus, or they have trouble focusing on what's directly ahead of them. So they put these blinders on them so that they can stay focused on the destination and remain focused. Well, we as humans struggle to stay on task at hand, right? Squirrel, right? (laughs) If you've ever seen that movie, we struggle to stay on the task at hand and live like Christ. Peter's basically saying, let's put horse blinders on, right? Set apart ourselves apart for Christ and put those blinders on so that we can stay focused and serve him and don't fall into that trap of retaliation and ruining your witness for Christ. You know, putting Christ as the focus of our lives, it allows us to not only endure through suffering, but it'll also communicate a positive response that'll surprise the world. They'll be shocked that even while suffering unjustly, we're able to go on because of that hope that we have in Christ. Now, Peter uses this statement, make a defense, which in Greek is the word apologian, right? We get the word apologetics from it. It's kind of defending your faith. But he says, be ready to explain why there's a hope that's in you. And this hope is knowing that God's in complete control. He's a sovereign God. He knows the beginning from the end, right? He knows how many hairs Pastor Tom has on his head. And more impressively, knows how many hairs Zach Rosignol has on his head, if you know Zach. (laughs) But this hope is the gospel where God came and dwelt among us here on earth. And he was facing all the same struggles, the same temptations that we go through. But yet he did so perfectly and sinlessly. And God became human to live a life in a way that we never could 
to die a type of death that we'll never have to face. And Jesus Christ bridged that chasm to restore and reconcile that relationship for all of us with our Heavenly Father. And this is that, that hope that we're talking about is an eternity spent with our incredible creator. Now, we may all say it's slightly different. We really may. We may explain it slightly different, but we should all be able to explain it with passion and excitement if we truly understand what was done on our behalf. And Peter says, instead of being scared here, guys, sanctify Christ as Lord. That way, you'll be led by the Spirit in your response. And if you allow the Spirit to speak instead of your flesh, it'll be with gentleness and reverence. Now, Peter puts one more layer on it, and this is the last of the passage this morning, verse 16 and 17. He says, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So if we focus on God, we maintain our testimony throughout a difficult time, we can be confident that we're operating with a clear conscience. And we can continue on knowing that the righteous judge, right? God is watching us. He'll see our behavior and he'll put those who hate us and despise us to shame. Well, when I was younger, we went uh, to a little driving range mini golf course up in northern Maine. It was just one of the days while we were camping up north. We went out to this uh, golf place and it was my dad, me, and six or so of my cousins and friends. And it was this tiny little golf course that was run on the honor system. So you put your money in the box, pick up your putter and your ball, and you play your game. So we did that, put the money in the box, picked up our putters and the ball, and started playing. Well, the the owner of the place actually lived just up on the hill. You could see his house from the place. And he came down and actually started accusing us of not paying. And even more so, he directed that accusation right at my dad. Now, my dad's probably the most honest man I know. <laughs> and all of us standing there saw the injustice that this guy was taking out on him. But instead of tearing into this old guy and really letting him have it uh, for falsely accusing him, my dad gently and respectfully said, we did pay, and it was wrong of him to rip into his character. And he said, we will not be back. Well, just that simple response had a big impact on me when, when I was younger. You know, my dad's character, I was able to see him remain intact through that interaction. Now, I don't know if this guy ever came around to believing him, but I do know that all of us who were watching around, us teens, were able to see how to act and respond well to a false accusation. It was very powerful. But in Matthew 27, we're able to see once again another great illustration, a great example that Jesus shows us by his actions. You talk about being wrongly accused and treated unjustly. Jesus was completely innocent, and yet Barabbas was released instead. But Jesus, he continued in the suffering because he knew it was his father's will. You know, we're putting our suffering for reasons we may not know exactly why, but it is important for us to endure to the end for his name's sake. And we must take that high road and keep a clear conscience because it is our father's will. It's important. And in closing this morning, you know, these Christians who Peter's writing to were being encouraged to face their fears and to continue on through the trials because of what was done on their behalf. But we're no different. We're told to go through the trials of life that we experience here and know that nothing can be done to our inheritance. Nothing can be taken away. So the world can use scare tactics. They can intimidate us. They can even persecute us. But we're able to endure because he endured on the cross. 
And I know taking the high road is not always easy. That's not an always easy choice to make, but it does please God. And that is what, what's asked of us. But if we abide in Christ, we'll be able to endure the suffering while being falsely accused. And that witness that we leave behind is far greater than trying to remove that circumstance from our life. Revelations 3.21, it says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, that's the best blessing right there that we could possibly attain. So we should be encouraged to continue on knowing where our hope lies. And in the dark times of your life, remember that God has you there for a reason. So we need to be ready to respond with the spirit instead of the flesh. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy, God. Thank you for what you did on the cross. God, we love you and we we should be forever grateful for what you did. Lord, we are so fickle as human beings and, and so oftentimes we are persuaded so easily by the flesh. So God, it is so important for us to stay connected to Christ and be led by the Spirit. God, I ask you just to, to pour your blessing onto these folks here this morning. Help us to drive home safely and help us to just to hopefully take some of these words to heart and apply them to our life. God, as we come before you now in communion, help us to be restored. Help us to bring anything that uh, stands between us and our communication. Help us to bring them to your, to your cross and, and just ask for forgiveness. In your name. Amen.